Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you are today. This is Dick Dalton, your host for this hour of Glocal News and Social Artistry, where we get to talk to people who are building a more humane world from the inside out. It means that they start with themselves and uh, find what needs to stay and what needs to go and the things that stay, they then work into things to help the world. And my guest today has certainly done that. Jane Battenberg, Dr. Jane Battenberg. Are you on, Jane? I am. Oh, great. Wonderful. (laughs) Jane is in uh, Medford, Oregon today? Yes. Yes, so you're at home, Medford, Oregon. Jane and I met uh, a number of years ago with Oh, was it Mystery School or, or Social Artistry, one of those things out there on the West Coast with uh, Dr. Gene Houston? And you're a, a book author uh, twice now, and I just think we have so many good things to talk about. Would you like to introduce yourself, uh, you know, in some way? Would you like to tell listeners uh, who you think you are? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it probably changes daily, doesn't it? <laughs> I have a doctorate in clinical hypnotherapy. Um, I have I've studied NLP and um, neuro linguistic programming. Okay, and much of my life has been about changing what seems impossible. Hmm. So I can give you the credentials of my doctorate and uh, master of arts in teaching and um, things like that. But really what drives me and gives me passion is being able to change what seems impossible. People say it's impossible to change that physical condition or that, uh, you know, that's just the way things are. So I try to look and see if there are ways to change that. And um, that, Dick, as you and I know, and we've had long conversations about it, is um, food for lots lots of discussion. Sure. Sure, and you have seen what the impossible, how, how it was just not true, that there's so many things that uh, are available to us that we don't learn about going to grade school or high school or college even. Um, there's a lot uh, of possibilities that have not been tapped, both within ourselves and uh, in that world outside of ourselves. Why don't we go to your first book? Is that all right? Uh, Sure. Such an intriguing title, I, Yoga, that's E-Y-E, Yoga. Uh, How you see is how you think. And because I do some of your, uh, a little bit of your uh, eye exercises every day, I I think of you every day. (laughs) I think, okay, here's Jane's exercises. (laughs) You and your sister, uh, uh, Martha, wrote this uh, really, I think, quite a clever book, uh, and it's a very clinical, I guess, in a way. It, it's really helped people. Yes. It was uh, an interesting book to write. We first started out having eye exercises, and then we realized that simple eye exercises are really exercising the brain and that you can actually change brain neuroplasticity by doing eye exercises. Mm-hmm. I mean, who would have thought? Okay. And so one of the, I mean, 
once we wrote it, we thought it, we'd have a little 40-page eye exercise book. Mm. But when we got into it, we realized that it had a life of its own, and it, it took off, that we actually use eye exercises to ameliorate the effects of strokes, for example. Mm-hmm. So a friend of mine could only see half a face because he'd had a, a stroke, and he said, I just can't see on this one side. So after an hour of eye exercises, the blind spot kind of went out into the distance, and he was able to get his driver's license back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know. So, and, and another I'm guy impressed. Was, uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Another guy was uh, a musician and had a stroke, and um, he was grumpy. He had had a, used a walker and a cane, and after exercising a little bit, I had him visualize running. I said, can you run? He said, no. I said, well, could you run before the stroke? And he said, yes. So we visualized it a little bit and did more eye-tongue exercises to uh, increase the brain neuroplasticity. And at the end of the hour, he ran unaided across a 20-foot room. <laughs> it was, And he said, okay, I know what to do. And uh, a year later, he walked his daughter down the aisle. Wow. It was just really impressive. So when you say eye-tongue exercises, I, I'm reminded of uh, how you taught us to have your eyes circle a periphery in one direction and have your tongue make circles in the other direction. Is that something what you're talking about? So um, the eyes are hardwired into the brain. So mm -hmm. if you look up, you're okay. accessing visual. And if you look down you're getting the feeling. So, Dick, if you got a, a just get a, a minor irritation or something, and, and can you feel that, some minor irritation? Uh, and then... Only because the uh, garbage man is now in the alley <laughs> in the back uh, dumping the dumpsters. <laughs> I, that's not really a, a bodily uh, irritation. That's just sound issue. So, if, if you have make an emotional speech, for example. Um, often people are looking down at what they're going to say. If they look up, it pulls them up out of the emotion. So oh, you get okay. the feeling that you look up mm -hmm. and then try to find that irritation at the garbage or the emotion you were feeling. Mm -hmm. Okay. It seems to... And so, is, is that an NLP practice? It is. Uh -huh. Okay. It's also... Mm -hmm exercise practice. Mm -hmm. So if you move your eyes around in a circle, a uh -huh. clock circle, let's say, uh -huh. and you go from, you know, up and over to one side and down and over to the other side, you're actually accessing visual, auditory, and kinesthetic functions in your brain. So if you then try to move your tongue in the opposite circle, like if you're rotating clockwise with your eyes and you rotate your tongue counterclockwise, it seems to make new pathways in the brain. Yeah. You know, I, I, I do that, but I can't make them go at the same speed. I, I My tongue goes oh. on an accelerated speed and my eyes are... <laughs> 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 that's well, the only way that's I can really do it. 
an important point because if it's difficult, that's when you make new pathways in your brain. If it's not hard, then you're not doing anything. You're just doing the same habitual stuff. Oh. So if you try to move them, yeah, oh. in one direction, tongue in the other, and it's hard, and you go, oh, you know, it's like patting your head and rubbing your stomach at the same time. Mm. And if it's hard, you're making new pathways. Okay. And that simple exercise allows has allowed me to work with um, people with strokes, for example, mm-hmm. and uh, recover things that they couldn't do. I hope folks are listening out there because I know you know strokes are so common, and recovering is uh, this is almost like a secret that uh, needs to be <laughs> shared more widely. You don't hear it spoken of too much, do you? Don't hear what? you don't hear this uh, exercise spoken of in, in in PT school, do you? Or uh, you know, no. A friend of mine had a stroke, and he was doing these exercises, and he said, "Jane, doctors need to know about this." Yeah. So I started. We put it in the book, and I started working with people. Mm-hmm. Here's another example. A friend, um, my uncle, had had a carotidectomy and had lost the use of his left vocal cord. Hmm. And he could only talk in one-word whispers, like, I want whatever. Mm-hmm. And his, uh, my aunt, it drove her crazy because she's quite auditory, and she called my mom and said, can Jane help? <laughs> <laughs> so, which, I know. So, attempting the impossible, right? Change what seems impossible. Mm-hmm. So, we met at the mountain cabin. And I had him do the eyes in one direction and the tongue in the other, and then um, that got easy, so we had to up the ante. And so I had him doing um, cross-crawl, you know, taking your right hand and patting your left knee and your left hand patting your right, right. knee back uh-huh. and forth. Uh, as, as good. Donna Eden uh, taught us that. I'm sure other t- people teach it, too. Yeah. So um, then that got easy, so I had him, we ratcheted up to where he was um, saying the Gettysburg Address out loud while in his mind he was saying the Pledge of Allegiance. No way. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Oh, God. Uh, And so then... Whoops, I just said that was impossible, didn't I? Uh, uh, (laughs) Good. So then I said, well, talk with your right vocal cord as you imagine you're talking with your left vocal cord. And he said, I can't, I don't know which vocal cord I'm talking with. I said, yeah, I know, but just imagine it. So he tried, and we laughed. And the next day he said, Jane, I can actually tell which vocal cord I'm talking with. Come on, I can't even do that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, long story short, at the end of four days, he was not only talking a blue streak, <laughs> he was singing. He was singing. Oh, my goodness. In four days, he got all that back. Was his wife okay, happy, so or, or uh, did she say, hey, Jane, that's a little too much? <laughs> <laughs> so here's the kicker. So a couple months later, he went back to the doctor, and he said, Doc, look, I'm talking mellifluously. And the doc said, well, let me 
check your left vocal cord. And he looked and he said, well, your left vocal cord is still frozen. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. So we had rerouted the function of the vocal both vocal cords to a different place in the brain mm. so that he could talk. Oh boy, I love it. Mm. And talk that's with mm -hmm. just eye tongue exercises. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and a little uh, visualization and and uh, uh There you go. Uh, yes. The Gettysburg address. Uh yeah. I'm not even going to Okay. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and then there's your uh cover one eye uh and access the uh, creativity side or cover the other eye and access the uh, more logical, uh, linear side. Uh, you use that with uh, great school, or is this Doug, Doug uh, up in Washington State uses that with his grade school kids, doesn't he? Yes, that was so exciting. If you cover your right eye, mm -hmm. you're blocking the left brain function mm -hmm. and if you cover your left eye you're blocking the emotional side mm -hmm. so kids in grade school he found this by working with his daughter who was um, somehow had a challenge and was homeschooled and she got so good at doing this well i'll tell you about that later but anyway the kids that in so he took this to the grade school and the kids that were Poor in math, he had them put a patch over their left eye so it blocks out all emotional stuff, mm -hmm. and it makes them very logical. Mm -hmm. And their math scores went up two grades. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So then he said, okay, mm -hmm. kids that are poor in English, like English writing, will cover the logical side, cover the right eye. Mm-hmm. And have them write with their watching, uh, just looking out through their left eye, mm -hmm. the emotional side. Mm -hmm. And their English scores improved by about two grades. <laughs> so here are these kids with glasses. We had them go to the dollar store. They, he had them go to the dollar mm -hmm. store and, and patch, you know, so they had two pairs of right. patching glasses. Right. And they were laughing at each other, you know, with these silly glasses on, and they were having a really good time. Well, what happened was soon they were able to make the switch in their brain without the glasses. Oh, wow. Okay, sure. Like training wheels on a bicycle. There you go. Yeah. And then his daughter got so good that she went back into public school. So I oh, thought that was good. Excellent. Yeah, wonderful. I mean, and this is uh, somewhat in your eye yoga book about this covering one eye and the other eye and so on, correct? It is. Yes. Doug's story is not in there, but uh -huh. um, the rest of it is. So uh, let me just uh, let listeners know that you are uh, Jane Battenberg, Dr. Jane Battenberg. And this first book we've been talking about is called I. E-Y-E, -E, yoga, how to see is how you think, or how you see is how you think. And there's a, if you have the hard copy, there's a, a, a is it in other than anything other than hard, I mean, a paperback, is it anything other than paperback? No, it's yeah. just paperback. Because it's got so many visuals in it, and uh, 
good exercise things. And there's a big I on the front. That is available on um, Amazon or wherever people get books. But do you have a, a website we could tell them about right now, and then we'll repeat it again later when we talk about the next book? Yes, my website is changewithin.com. Changewithin.com. All right, and they can find out about both the books and other things that you do there. It has a lot of blogs and oh, uh, okay. videos how to do the exercise. Oh, oh, wonderful. Okay. So let's go ahead and, and, uh, and just start introducing that second book, this most recent one. It's called Change Within, Change <laughs> the World, isn't it? Isn't that the, I don't have it right in front of me. I have it on my phone. Change Within the World, yes. Well, I'm going to read a short uh, excerpt that I was reviewing uh, on the plane coming home yesterday. When we separate from our thoughts and become aware enough to observe them, we stand in a witness place, noticing them rather than running after or resisting them. By slowing down the automatic, habitual mind chatter, we gain access to a deeper place, a portal through which imagination and creativity can come. This is much more profound than the mind's usual stream of consciousness. That was just such a great little paragraph. And then you have a quote by Samuel Johnson, the chains of habit are generally too small to be felt until they are too strong to be broken. Wow, what a statement. Oh, I love it. Well, that is my introduction to your book, <laughs> Change Within, <laughs> Change the World. And, uh, and, and you have quite a, a story, in a way, to tell about what has compelled you to write this book. <laughs> That's a good question, Dick. We were talking earlier, and I was saying what inspired me to write the book, and then realized that... It wasn't what inspired me. It was what compelled me to write this book. Right. Yeah, I was taking so your word. Years, <laughs> yeah. So for years, I uh, wrote blogs for a local paper in Orange County and put these blogs together and thought I had a book. Hmm. Thought, oh, this is good. What was your blog title? Blogs were changewithin.com, hmm. and I would write... Uh, on different topics, mm. small, short, you know, sure, okay. the things to stimulate the creativity and stimulate thought, mm -hmm. okay, and be of interest. I mean, some of the titles are in the in the um, book are really taken from the from the blogs, and they're geared to stimulate people to want to read about it. Okay, like. Mm -hmm. What's love got to do with it? Kite strings, values, and passion. Okay. I mean, mm -hmm. what? Wouldn't you, like, like, how did they get love, kite strings, values, and passion all in one, in two um, pages? So I tried to stimulate people to go, really? What's that about? Okay. Uh-huh. Anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So I wrote the blogs, and then a friend said, Jane, 
this is just another self-improvement book, just another self-help book. This, this, you know, at we're at the eleventh hour in terms of world situations, and we need to stimulate people to make a difference in a larger arena. Mm-hmm. And so, instead of just printing a self-help book, you need to contextualize what you're saying in a way that, in a larger arena. Oh, so, like uh, instead of just local, make it uh, the context of global, something like that. Yes, and also, okay, instead of improving myself, uh-huh. it, improving myself for what purpose? Okay. To help change the situation in the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because a lot of us feel, wow, you know, there's nothing I can do. So my whole premise is that if you change within, you can change the external. Mm -hmm. And uh, there probably is some science behind that or some uh, certain events that have sort of indicated that's true. Well, I had it. I like stories. So can I share a story? (laughs) You you can. Okay. So one day I was sitting with a friend out on a, it's a warm spring day, and sitting out on a patio um, enjoying lunch. And two ladies next to us, one lady was spewing loudly, angrily about something at work and disrupting the calm. So I said to my friend, I'll fix that. So I went inside, and I thought of all the places where I was holding anger or resentment, and I just forgave let it go, just took like a minute to just scan my life. And then I opened my eyes, and the two ladies were peacefully, happily talking. Well, my friend was looking at me saying, oh, my God, how did you do that? You're a witch. (laughs) That's an interesting conclusion. (laughs) Yeah. So I hadn't changed I hadn't done anything with the ladies. I just went inside and said, if there's anger externally, I must be internally projecting it out. So if I change my internal projection, mm-hmm. that could change the external. Mm-hmm. So that's how we got to change within to change the world. Mm-hmm. Well, let me just back up with that a second. <sighs> The premise that you're operating from is that we are affecting the world all the time. I mean, if if you said, these ladies are feeling this, and I'm going to go in and, and fix it by changing me, then it's as if things in you were causing the ladies to do this, and then you changed you, and then the ladies changed. Uh, Am I following this right? <laughs> right? Yes. So we project out onto the external world what we are internally believing, feeling. Mm-hmm. So internal projection, internal condition mm-hmm. projects out onto the external world. So in order to change the external, you go inside mm-hmm. and work on the inside. Even if it's subconscious, even if it's part of the old... Uh, you're not even aware of it. Probably most of the time you're not aware of it, I guess. Until you That's a good point. Mm-hmm. 
Go ahead. I, I think that we each have a larger purpose, a larger uh, life purpose. And we go about our daily habitual routine, you know, mm-hmm. go to the grocery store, pick up the kids, whatever. And yet, and so we're not really consciously aware of this larger external purpose. And so fulfilling this larger purpose requires a greater awareness than our ordinary lives. Okay. So my book is about going within to find what you really believe, what you're, you're, what are you really projecting out onto the external world? Because if we're continuing to project out at things of racism and greed and whatever, it's like mm-hmm. putting a Band-Aid on where major surgery is needed. And so this book is a way to take a look at what we really believe, what our larger purpose is, mm-hmm. clean that up so that when we project out onto the external world, it's a clearer, uh, more direct vision. All right. And we're back with local news in social artistry, people building a more humane world from the inside out. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and my guest today is Dr. Jane Battenberg from Medford, Oregon. And we're talking about her most recent book, Change Within, Change the World. And hello, Jane, you're back? Yes, thank you. Good, yes. And so you just uh, were saying how purpose, is it vital to know your purpose or to, to at least have an idea what your purpose is? Or just to imagine one, or what? How do you? How do we know what our purpose is? Well, that's a good question. But to look at one's life, to carefully examine what you really believe, is a really. It's like cleaning out your closet. Sometimes we have clothes in the back of the closet that we haven't used for years, and we may have beliefs that we have that we haven't re-examined. For example. Whatever you believe is projected out onto the world. If you think God lets me down, then, and you may have stored that in an unconscious place and not realize that you think that God lets you down. So if you find that belief and say, oh, I need to change that, and you change it to God has my back and always helps me, then you're projecting out onto the world a much more positive, generative point of view. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a friend that always thought the bill was going to be wrong, and he would always check it and always find uh, a mistake. And Mm. I thought, oh, dear, I better start checking the bill. (laughs) So I started checking the bill, and what I found was that it was usually right, and if it wasn't right, it was often in my own favor, in my favor. So it's examining your unconscious, often unconscious beliefs that bring you to examine, now what's my purpose? What, what do I really think? Because whatever you're thinking, whatever you're believing is projected out onto the external world. Hmm, okay. Does that answer your question or... Well, yes, uh, I guess the uh, 
it's something that I uh, struggled with in my own teaching um, and my own life was uh, purpose because there was a period of time when I was told what my purpose was and I believed it and, and that was the way my life went for 25 years in the church. And then we left the church, and <laughs> uh, that wasn't the same purpose. And, and I had to sort of find uh, another purpose because I was shifting my beliefs. And I, I'm, I think it's such a, a thick question. I mean, it's such a uh, so much to chew on because our beliefs aren't just one thing. They're we have so many do you have a as i read your book i wasn't sure i mean there was a lot particularly in the part two that was getting me to to question things about myself and i'm i apologize i didn't have i didn't take or have the time to actually go through those uh, processes that you were suggesting in the qualitative way they needed to but uh, so using your your book would be a, one way for us to take time to examine what we believe and then have more of an option to make a choice on it. Is that a fair statement? That's correct, because we are constantly changing. We're constantly morphing mm-hmm. into you know, something else. So at one point in your life, church was appropriate, and then you morphed into something else, and you needed mm-hmm. a, a larger purpose, mm-hmm. is my guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's like periodically going, well, as I said before, going through your closet and taking out old stuff that no longer serves you. Mm-hmm. It's a It's a good idea to just really examine who we are and mm-hmm. what we stand for, what we believe, and what we want to, um, well, project out onto the world. If I have trouble uh, going through my physical closet and throwing <laughs> things away, is that a sign <laughs> that I may have trouble doing that internally? Am I projecting? Am I? And I'm not being funny here. I'm, I'm trying to see why I hesitate to get rid of old shirts, for instance. Well, everyone's different. So, for you, the shirt that has the smell and the and the memories associated with it is important. And for someone else, they like new things, and they need to get rid of the old to make room for the new. Mm. So just to refer back to the book, Mm -hmm. I really don't want to impose a belief or a Mm. way on people. I just want them to think about their life in a way that they can say, okay, this belief doesn't serve me anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. And that leads, okay, so let's say one day I was looking and I realized I was eating lots of ice cream and I really didn't need to eat that much ice cream. Mm-hmm. So I changed my belief. I, I, I told myself that I did not like ice cream. Mm-hmm. And I imagined cloying warm ice cream on the sidewalk. 
And every time someone says, okay, let's go for ice cream, I'd say, oh, well, I don't like ice cream. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, actually, what happened was if I did eat ice cream, it was good and it tasted good, but I didn't binge on it and I didn't crave it anymore. Mm-hmm. It just changed my belief. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's like the closet. Some people like their closet full and some people like their closet pared down and lean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And each person's different. So how you relate to mental change may be different than physical change. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you thinking, though, uh, I'm going to push you a bit on this, that there may be a higher purpose that all of us have Somewhere, I don't know if the word love is going to fit into the conversation, but it's like as humans in this uh, organism that is part of an interdependent earth with billions of other organisms and you know, all the ways that we're connected throughout the universe. It, it, are you, I'll say, are you agreeing with me? <laughs> <laughs> that there's <laughs> that there is uh, a really a higher purpose that connects us or could if we examined our beliefs and and sort of upped I don't know goes through do you believe in levels like that that we can become more aware and more aware and more aware to the point that we sort of come to this unity of awareness i don't know how it's hard to ask that question yes this i mean we are all connected and the more the more we examine planetary things we realize that we're all on this spaceship earth mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. and um so we it it really is important to work together and have this loving higher connection mm-hmm. uh so you and I both have been introduced to Don Beck, and uh, and in your book, you he's one of the many people in the first half of the book that you refer to, and his teacher, Claire Graves, and then his partner for a while, uh, uh, Cohen, I think's his name. And they talk about values, levels of values, that we start off in a uh, survival layers of values and sort of move through as problems come up we see solutions and often those solutions will bring us to a little higher awareness or higher level of uh, of value and then they see that some people are moving to a, another beyond survival to a, the second tier in the, you talk about the 10 percent or the the hundredth monkey. You, you use so many good examples about how we're moving toward an earth that actually can be healthy and can be working for everybody in a way that is non-destructive, <laughs> for lack of better words there. So to make a difference, Margaret Mead said it's a committed group of people who believe in an idea that will change the world. Indeed, it's the only 
way that the world will change. Mm-hmm. So it's called a tipping point. And there's a book, you know, by on tipping point and but the tipping point is like when a small group gets together and believes in this idea, they can change the whole. I think that's what you're referring okay. to. Okay. Yeah, that's that's uh, uh, one way to put it. Yeah. And, okay. So mm-hmm. as we evolve as pe- as a, as humanity, the ones on the forefront front that are the highest evolved are the ones that can cause this the entire humanity to tip over to a higher level of consciousness. Okay, and so this and, this language of higher uh, and and evolution implies that there is a purpose that we are moving toward. Is, it, is that fair? It is. And when I wrote the book, uh, when I first started out with a series of blogs, and then I realized I needed a, a larger uh, context, you know, first I was just like, oh my gosh, what can I do? You know, I'm really motivated to do something, but it's like trying to fight a forest fire with a kitchen fire extinguisher. Mm-hmm. So I need to... to um, so the first thing I did was look for the largest fractal, the largest picture of consciousness evolution to see where we are at. And I looked at what you're talking about is um, Gebser, uh, Teilhard de Chardin, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Satoris, um, Don Beck, and they all said we are moving as yes, at moving as a, a species. We're we have an evolution. Mm-hmm. Of consciousness. Of consciousness. So wherever, okay. Mm-hmm. So wherever we are in consciousness evolution, um, it doesn't make the previous level wrong, and it doesn't mean that we should skip levels and immediately go to the highest level. We have to organically evolve. Mm-hmm. Each person in their own way. So. That's why the book is about take where you are, find out where you are and what you believe, and go from there. Because you you can't change the entire, I mean, it's like, how do you, you can't change the entire world. We can try, but you can't. It's like, how do you eat an elephant? Mm-hmm. Well, One bite at a time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, you're a vegetarian. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I immediately went there, but even though I'm not a vegetarian. Um, <laughs> I don't want to so, even know. Yeah. Okay. You have to find you have to find out where you are. Hey, I've and got so another, my book is I've got another one for you, Jane. How do you okay. climb a mountain? One step at a time. How about that? There you go. <laughs> Doesn't it? Okay. So the book isn't to force change on people. The book is about find out where you are in evolution mm-hmm. and then start there. And examine your deeply held beliefs and your values that are causing you to act in a certain way and are projecting out onto the external world to create, you know, whatever you've got out there is your projection. If you change your projection, you can change the external world. Wow. So first examine, go inside your closet and examine your beliefs and your values. And then start one step at a time, one bite at a time, to make sure that they're the way you want them. So it, it sounds to me, or at least the way I'm hearing 
it filtered through my belief system, is that somebody has to become aware that they have a problem. Because I don't, I don't know why anybody would want to start examining their beliefs if they didn't have something that wasn't working well. I mean, just telling somebody, well, you ought to examine your beliefs. Well, why should I examine my beliefs? You know, my life's fine. I'm happy. Leave me alone, will you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the, that's true. You know, if you're completely satisfied, then there's nothing that will motivate you to want to do anything any different. Other than sometimes people want to go, well, let me just make sure. So I'm going to look at this, and if I say, oh, yes, these values are good, these beliefs are good, I'm all I'm in good shape. It's like uh, going to the doctor for a checkup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's use that last analogy that we have not been taught well to have a beliefs checkup. <laughs> and, okay. And that um, it really is healthy if we have a beliefs checkup periodically uh, just to see where we are. And the first half of your book is sort of giving uh, examples of how others have looked at this big picture and seen uh, where people have landed in in a belief series of uh, levels, let's just say. And then the second half is a way for people to do that inventory or uh, go to the the have their belief uh, checkup. And uh, I think it's it, it's a great idea. I, I know it's not a new idea because lots of people are working on that from various angles. And yet uh, you've kind of put it together in a way that uh, why go to six books when you can just have one book right here and and uh, step through it and you you've done your work. Dick, I think that's so important. A lot of people now don't like to read and go through tomes of books and words. And I've written this book with bite-sized food for thought if you will mm-hmm. um, to tease out and expand the reader's larger purpose. Mm-hmm. And I've peppered it with stories and quotes and pictures and quirky, entertaining writings, mm-hmm. which is geared to stimulate the reader's own creativity about their life mm-hmm. without wading through a lot of words. Mm-hmm. Great. And you can get it on, uh, uh, I believe it's available through an uh, ebook, don't they call it, as well as uh, paperback. And again, people can find that by going to uh, www.changewithin.com. The author is Dr. Jane Battenberg. And uh, I think we're going to have to say uh, we did a good job today, Jane. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Good. They they can order it on Amazon, Balboa Press, or their local bookstore, and um, get a copy. And it's very reasonably priced, so uh, check that out, folks. And uh, I do want to thank you dearly for 
sharing this hour with us and uh, your stories. I, I also want to put a plug back in for iYoga because of the practical value for so many people that are dealing with stroke or dealing with uh, uh, in, things in school, like you talked about the girls in, in uh, math or, or English. Uh, so um, check out these two sources, folks, and uh, see how it might fit a, a need in your own life. So thanks again, Jane. Dick, Dick, thank you for having me. Okay, it's my pleasure, and I'm going to just uh, announce to the group uh, what's happening next week, and I'll talk to you soon, Jane.